listening to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, a look at the latest news in Louisiana agriculture. Coming up, we'll have a look at this week's Louisiana Ag News headlines. We'll check out the latest happenings at the state capitol and in Washington, D.C. in our grassroots government segment. We'll hear from one of you as we take you to the fields and pastures of the Bayou State and find out the latest in crop and cattle conditions. And we'll look inside the markets with commentary from experts at the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. All of this and more coming up on this week's podcast. Now, here's the host of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, Carrie Martin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, episode number 28 for Friday, March 15th of 2019. I'm your host, Kerry Martin. We have a very packed podcast this week, so we're going to have a very short intro. One quick note, our news headline segment, our first segment here in the podcast, will be very long. The reason for that is that we had the Louisiana Agriculture Hall of Distinction banquet held last week, and we're going to bring you some excerpts from the acceptance speeches of the four individuals who were inducted this year. So that's going to practically double our news headline segment, but I believe it's very good information, and I believe you'll enjoy hearing excerpts from those speeches, so we're going to add that into news headlines this week. But other than that, we'll have our regular format for the podcast. On grassroots government, we have Louisiana Commissioner of Agriculture and Forestry, Mike Strain. On In the Field this week, we go to northeast Louisiana to talk with William Stutz. He farms corn and soybeans in West Carroll Parish. We'll check the markets with our regular market analysts, Greg Fox and Dave Foster. Then we'll wrap up the podcast with a look at the ag calendar. All that coming up on Episode 28 of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. And it all kicks off right now. Here's a look at the latest news headlines in Louisiana agriculture on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. In Farm News Headlines, the Louisiana Farm Service Agency is reminding farmers and ranchers that there are more things to consider right now besides getting into the field. Don Molino has more. Louisiana Farm Service Agency Director Craig McCain says there's still a lot of work to do before the new Farm Bill policies can actually go into effect. I tell you that because I don't know exactly when it'll happen, but I suspect it's going to happen sometime about the time you normally start making your acreage reports. You're going to be doing that in the middle of this summer or maybe late summer. So what's that going to mean? It's going to mean several trips to FSA. You're going to be doing multiple functions relative to sign up. We suspect there'll be some elections, some program election decisions that have to be made. You're going to be making some acreage reports. I just pray that we don't wind up doing that during harvest because we all know what a conflict that will make. I'm simply saying to you today, you need to recognize that and do all that you can to get the education that you need to be prepared to make those decisions so that if we get into late summer and you begin to have some of these conflicts, you're prepared. That's a lot easier said than it is done. Speaking at the annual Louisiana Cotton and Grain Association meeting in Monroe, McCain reminded farmers program elections require all parties on the farm sharing in the crop. So if there are multiple tenants on a farm, they're going to have to agree on that program election before that election can be made. 
So if you're on a multi-tenant farm, obviously if you own the farm and operate the farm, that's a pretty, pretty easy decision. But if there are multiple tenants, there's going to have to be some communication involved. Secondly, when we get down the road to yield update, that's an owner decision. Okay, and it becomes particularly complicated if there are multiple tenants or if there are tenants who were on the farm years ago who are no longer there anymore. So just be thinking about these processes and what you need to do and what you can do to organize, if you will, and begin to prepare yourself because the next two years are going to have some decisions uh, relative uh, that affect your bottom line relative to FSA programs. McCain is also reminding producers not to forget about the market facilitation program deadline. Most of you, I think, have probably signed up and certified your production. To date, FSA has received applications for $109 million worth of MFP in the state of Louisiana. Now, that's on all crop. But we have issued about $102 million worth of payments in the state. We expect to continue to receive some production certifications, particularly on cotton, because of the uh, lateness of our ginning. But I'll remind you, there is a date. And I'm reminding you because I am fearful that you're going to get on your tractor in a few days and you're going to be doing what you need to do relative to field work. May 1st is the deadline for certifying production for MFP. So if you're through certifying with MFP, you don't need to worry about it. If you're not through, you need to remember May 1st. Do not let that get away from you because that's the deadline for you to certify your production. And it reminds producers the receipt for services they receive at their local FSA office is vital. There are a lot of you that have learned the value of that receipt for service, and unfortunately there are a lot of you that still don't accept the value of receipt for service. But when you go to your FSA office, if you are currently not offered a receipt for service, which is exactly that, it's a receipt that tells you a brief description of the service that you sought and what that FSA employee was able to do for you during that visit. It is hugely important because when we get into these complicated farm bills and multiple decisions and involving multiple parties and something happens, then unfortunately it many times turns into a he said, she said situation which makes it very, very difficult to resolve. If you have that receipt for service in your hand that says I sought this service and I believed I had it when I left there, that is very, very valuable to you. I'm Don Molino on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Trade issues have caused a lot of headaches for Louisiana farmers over the last year. Washington journalist Jim Wiesmeyer spoke at the recent American Sugarcane League meeting in Baton Rouge. He told farmers there has been severe damage done to American agriculture. While the Trump tariff payments have helped, they don't heal all those wounds. We're down 70% in working capital from the peak in 2012. Wiesmeyer says the passage of the 2018 Farm Bill definitely helps to strengthen the safety net for agriculture, especially for corn and soybean farmers. We have really better safety nets uh, now. You have a substantial uh, revenue assurance uh, program, uh, you know, that protects from a price relationship, which means February prices are going to be very key uh, because that'll set the guarantee. Louisiana's cotton infrastructure may be stretched this year with a projected increase in cotton acreage. 
LSU Ag Center cotton specialist Dan Frommy says the number of cotton gins in the state has dropped to less than 20. That was a problem just this past year when we had, you know, a little less than uh, 200,000 acres. The gins are not, you know, willing to take on more acres, so uh, that's going to create some, uh, you know, hardships. USDA is projecting our cotton acreage to increase to 220,000 acres, and that could put a strain on our gin capacity and our ability to pick that crop, since many farmers can't justify buying a new cotton picker. Craig Laborde of Avoyles Parish. It's a big investment in owning a cotton picker plus the maintenance and upkeep. If you have a hundred acres or so, it's like really the picker does not justify, you know, purchasing for that a little bit. Last week was Agricultural Safety Awareness Program Week. The theme this year is uh, safety and knowing your limits, and uh, we're trying to make sure that our farmers keep safety in mind each day as they begin to uh, get back out into the field to plant crops. That's Louisiana Farm Bureau Safety Director Wendell Miley. The biggest thing is watching out for our farmers out on the highway. About a third of our fatalities from the farm perspective happen out on the highway when an accident happens with somebody in the motoring public. So I think they need to make sure that they're slowing down, be looking for that slow moving emblem on the back of that tractor, flashing lights, and just know that they're going to be moving at a lot slower speed than they are. Louisiana Farm Bureau Safety Director Wendell Miley. The ninth annual Women in Agriculture Conference will be held March 21st and 22nd in Alexandria. Amy Robertson is State Public Affairs Specialist for the Natural Resources Conservation Service. You know, women are an important part of, of agriculture. Um, an interesting statistic, uh, agriculture is about $11 billion for our state's revenue. If you look at the state of Louisiana, we have about 26,000 farms, and out of those, about 3,500 of those are owned and operated primarily by women. So women play a, a huge part of, of agriculture in the state of Louisiana. So we wanted to have a conference specifically focused for them. Robertson says over 200 women are already registered for the conference. If you'd like to register, go to their website, louisianawomeninag.com. The Louisiana Agriculture Hall of Distinction held their annual induction banquet last week in Baton Rouge, where they inducted four very deserving individuals, Dr. Grady Coburn of Cheneyville, Miss Linda Zonbreaker of Gaydon, the late Jack Hamilton of Lake Providence, and George LaCour of Morganza. Don Molino was at the ceremony and has more from the inductees. First up, Dr. Grady Coburn from Cheneyville. For me, this is truly an humbling experience to be included in such an elite group of agriculturalists as those that are being inducted tonight, as well as those that have been inducted previously. It's an honor that I will never forget. To begin with, I didn't come from an agricultural background. My dad was a barber. My mother was a registered nurse. And we lived in the city limits of Wilsner, Louisiana. <laughs> so I was a city boy. <laughs> I knew I was a city boy because my country boy friends told me I was a city boy. <laughs> and that at that time could be further validated by the fact that I didn't know the difference between a cotton plant and a cucumber. But in 1961, a gentleman by the name of Ray Young asked me if I wanted to be a cotton, a, a field scout for him. 
I'm a youngster, 16 years old, between junior and high school, and I say, what's a field scout? So he took time to explain what a field scout was, and he told me that if I wanted to take that job, it could be an ongoing job, and that I was going to have to live away from home, because he wanted us to move to a little place called LeCount, Louisiana, to start consulting cotton and sugar cane. Never seen a cane stalk in my life before then. The most intriguing thing about that opportunity was not the fact that I was going to have a summer job, it was the fact that I was going to be able to move away from home and, and stay back with a bunch of other guys. And one of those other guys was a fellow by the name of Howard Anderson. He was in charge to be our scout supervisor and on-site consultant. Between the two of those gentlemen, in the first three summers that I worked, their patience and persistence in training all of us, not just me, plus the enthusiasm for agriculture that they presented was contagious. I mean, literally contagious. And I knew after that third summer that I had to be involved in ag. Then Linda Zondbrecher from Gaydon. So I do want you to know that this has just been a very exciting time for me and for my family and my extended family, my Farm Bureau family. I, I never dreamed of any such recognition and uh, who is it that said he was from Wisner I, and I'm from Gaydon? Well, I was born in the city too. And, <laughs> and but let, let me tell you that there was a rice field a block and a half from the house that I grew up in. And so uh, from an early time, I knew there was rice in the area, but until I married Wayne in 1960, I didn't know that I would be involved in the manner that I was. And so uh, just know that I appreciate the time that I was able to work with all of you, because many of you here were part of what I worked with, the boards and commissions, and is the commissioner still here? I guess that was my least favorite thing to do. <laughs> that was probably the toughest thing that I had ever experienced was being on the Ag Finance Authority because we had made some very bad mistakes early on and it took a long time for them to be cleared up. And I appreciate that I was almost there till the end. But anyway, <laughs> thank you again. Uh, it's just been overwhelming. Thank you. Lee Trichel accepted the award for her dad, Jack Hamilton from Lake Providence. But I am so honored so very honored to be standing here tonight to accept this award, award for him, and I just wish that he could be here to accept it himself. But my father was a man who um, loved his work and his family. He and my mother missed celebrating their 50th anniversary, wedding anniversary by just a few weeks before he passed away. And I've been so uh, humbled and, and, and just my emotions been spiked by the people telling me the stories 
before the dinner about my mother and my father. And my father always dreamed, you've heard some of this in the film, but he always dreamed of farming cotton. That's what he wanted to do. So when he returned from serving in the Korean War, he moved to Lake Providence, where his father owned a few small pieces of land he was willing to rent to my father at market price. And he didn't give daddy a break, even though he was just, I mean, uh, and uh, I mean, he really started from nothing. Uh, we lived in a very small house and um, in the middle of nowhere. We didn't have a phone until I was in the third grade. And um, in any event, uh, my brother and I both have fond memories of growing up on that farm. In the beginning, as I was saying, we had little money. So to help make ends meet, we had a cow. Daddy did the milking, mother did the pasteurizing, and she sold the milk. And to this day, I cannot drink milk because they made me drink that non-homogenized milk with the cream floating on top. <laughs> my brother loved it, but not me, not me, not me. One of my fondest memories is getting up at 5 a.m. to go to the farm with Daddy. We'd go into town and get donuts just right out of the, the fryer. Someone in town said they could set their watch by Mr. Jack, driving by in his pickup at 5.15 every morning. He was eager to get up and get to work. That was the thing he loved most. I didn't go with him that often, because I wasn't as fond of getting up that early, but it is a memory that I cherish to this day. This was already mentioned in the film, but when my dad saw a problem, he embraced it as a challenge to find a solution. When he discovered Lake Providence had no Presbyterian church, he gathered other Presbyterians, hauled an old house from the farm into town, and that became our church. When he discovered that insurance was cost, the insurance was costing cotton farmers too much money, he gathered cotton gin and warehouse owners together and started the self-insurance program that has evolved, grown, and is still successful today. From there, he went on to be a leader and an innovator in the cotton industry. And George LaCour from Point Capee Parish. We started off early in this business. My mama and my daddy were involved in the Farm Bureau, and we didn't have a babysitter, so when we'd have an annual meeting, and we were about this high, we'd go to the Farm Bureau annual meetings, and we'd sit on the coat boxes in the back while the meeting went on. We've been involved in Farm Bureau, and I can't thank Farm Bureau enough. And, you know, and Ronnie, and he's done a great job. And before him was Mr. Jimmy Grignard. And, and I got on the uh, Young Farm and Rancher Committee in Point Capee when I was 18. So I remember when we elected Ronnie to, to be president, and Farm Bureau's been part of my life. I mean, when, when I met Craig Brown, he was a Farm Bureau field man. And I rode around with him uh, doing membership drives back when they did those. So I can't thank Farm Bureau enough because it's, it's been there for us. And you know why I can leave and don't worry? There's a guy in this room named Harold Lambert. When I leave, he takes care of everything. He's my consultant, okay? so. I don't know, poot, but he knows it all. 
So Harold, Harold sends me a, a message. You need to spray this. I just call somebody up and tell them, I looked at it and we need to spray it. You know, right? And, you know, we built a cotton gin and couldn't none of us uh, ought to get the bank account going, but we, we were smart enough to know if we conned Harold into it, he could figure enough way to fix the numbers and we could get Cobank to believe it. And sure enough, they believed it. This is a true story. First year we, we were in business, we couldn't make the note payment. We went to Jackson, met with the bank. We said, we got good news and bad news. Well, what's the good news? Well, we're going to pay you. What's the bad news? We can't pay you now. <laughs> that's, that's real life, and, and that's what we are. You know, and, and my cotton gin uh, group is here, uh, Craig and Paul, you know, and Peggy and Ted, you know, thank y'all. I hope I hadn't made everybody gray and crazy, but we, we work on it. And to all my good friends that have kind of different names, like Possum and Ozan and Scooter and Tap and Buck, thank y'all because for me, this is truly an honor. I, I never dreamed it. I guess I just like to go home and farm, you know. But to, to be here, I never dreamed it, you know. And and the clothes, you know. Look, there's two. In my opinion, there's two different kind of people in this world. There's we people and there's me people. And I see a room full of we people, and the we people or what make things happen for all of us. And I'm blessed to know all of you all to be part of my life. And thank you for this great honor. That is a look at the latest news headlines in Louisiana agriculture. Don't forget, you can always check out our website, voiceoflaag.com. We update that every weekday with the latest news in the agricultural industry here in our state. While you're there, subscribe to our daily e-newsletter. It's called The Daily Voice. There's a big button right there on the website page at voiceoflaag.com. Click the button, fill out the info, and we'll send you our daily newsletter right to your inbox 5 a.m. every weekday morning with all the latest news in Louisiana agriculture. Coming up next, it's time for Grassroots Government. We'll go to the halls of government to talk with Louisiana Commissioner of Agriculture and Forestry, Dr. Mike Strain. That's next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Louisiana farmers and ranchers dedicate their lives to producing the food we eat and the clothes we wear. Agriculture touches all of us every time we sit down at the table. So support Louisiana agriculture by joining Farm Bureau. And you don't have to be a farmer to join. If you're already a member, we thank you. Your membership supports farmers and ranchers right here in your local community. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. It's time for a look inside the halls of government in this week's edition of Grassroots Government on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. 
On Grassroots Government this week, we're visiting with Louisiana Commissioner of Agriculture and Forestry, Dr. Mike Strain. Dr. Strain, I guess it is another great day in Louisiana agriculture. It's an absolutely great day, Louisiana agriculture, forest and aquaculture. And I tell you what, you know, we got a little bit of rain in some areas of the state. I was down in New Iberia today and all up through Hammond. I've been across the state through central Louisiana this week. A few raindrops. Hopefully it's drying up. Everybody is anxiously awaiting to get in the fields. Let's talk about a few topics here, if you would. I want to take a couple of steps back a few weeks. We got some more money in flood recovery funds for Louisiana farmers. Tell me a little about that, if you would. Yes. uh, At the last meeting of the Recovery Task Force, uh, what we did, we voted to reallocate some of the funds that were available but unused throughout the different programs. And one of the things Governor John Bell had promised is that if there was any way we would get more dollars for our farmers. If you remember, the original ask was for about $40 million, and we were allocated $10 million. And so with the, the redistribution of monies from other parts of this, pro, this multi-billion dollar program, we were able to get another $10 million. And so basically, you know, there are over 900 farmers that originally were able to participate uh, in these grants. And from that, over 600 actually were soybean farmers that have been also affected hard uh, by the, the rain and the weather events of the 2018 year. So we will be able quickly, as uh, soon as this is approved in Washington, approved by HUD, uh, we expect those monies will flow to the Agriculture Finance Authority. And basically, uh, the farmers that received the funds the first time, those same group of farmers are eligible to receive additional dollars. So our goal is to get this out as quickly as we can Uh, Because, again, the goal of this is to make sure or to help the farmers have enough money uh, to replant and to be able to go in and do what they need to do to stay in business. And that's how this works. Uh, Because, you know, if the farmer goes out of business, then it affects the economy of not only that farm, but also the entire region. So we've all been working very, very hard together. And I want to personally, you know, thank our Governor John Bell Edwards because he did make this a, a, a priority and Renee Simon the uh, Agriculture Finance Authority, and everyone on the Recovery Task Force for working with us and recognizing the need. You know, because between the flood of 2016 and the bad weather in that same region uh, from 2018, those farmers were hit twice. And, uh, you know, so last year was pretty tough, and we are really hoping this year, you know, for better weather, better prices, and better opportunities. And, again, we want to get those farmers, you know, get them and get the seed, and the fertilizer, we want to get them back in the field and be able to move forward. Well, speaking of flooding, we have gotten several USDA natural disaster declarations over the last few weeks. In fact, I've lost count of how many parishes that we actually had declared, but uh, we definitely had a slew of those come down in the last few weeks. Yes, we have, and the first one was on February 15th, and and from that we had a a number of parishes, nine parishes as a primary designation, and 21 parishes contiguous. And that was from the rain and flooding that occurred from September 1st to December 10th. Uh, you can go to our website to get all of those different parishes. And then on February 15th, we had 17 parishes uh, listed as primary, and then 18 parishes contiguous and because of the flooding and the rain that occurred from August 25th through November 16, 2018. And you really, you need to go to your farm services agency 
and you know we'll have we can we list these if you go to our website uh and and you can also go to the farm services agency website to look to see if you are in those affected parishes and the information can be obtained from the local farm services agency and and the good news is what happens is that it kicks in the federal programs and mostly you have a variety of programs such as low interest loan programs and other things and we also always tell our farmers keep good records again keep good records uh, and then uh, from periodically go down to your farm services agency and talk to your farm services agency irregardless of what parish you are in to see what programs are available and what do you qualify for because again working uh, with the USDA again that gives us a, a you know a great deal of uh, leverage and security and that's what those programs are there for so again they need to go down to the local USDA farm services agency talk and see what is available and right now these are low interest loans and of course uh, from that we will see where we move forward we've also you know in Congress there is a very large disaster bill you know and it is you know um, um, you know hundreds of millions closer to a billion dollars uh, in that we're asking for for the hurricanes and the major storms you know for a disaster recovery for affecting all the parts of the United States uh, that has not been funded yet, you know, through the federal government. And we're hoping that in, you know, in one of the next continuous resolutions that will be funded. It has been proposed, and it's over a billion dollars because there were some severe hurricanes and other storms across the United States last year. And so, we, again, as we are receiving aid, other parts of the United States now need assistance. So, again, the whole idea is that when one part of this country suffers, we all stand up and help them uh, to continue and to get back into production. Commissioner, one of the consequences of all of this rain that we've been having both here as well as all the way upriver is the Mississippi River flood stages right now. Uh, what effect is that having on Louisiana agriculture? Well, uh, you know, first of all, in many areas, if you take those areas right adjacent to the river, uh, you have a, we're watching for seepage, and you can see the water seeping up, keeping those parts of the fields and those fields that are they're very very wet. Uh, we're also watching very closely where we've had the water high enough where it starts looking like it come come across the top of the levee, uh, and so so far we have not had any major instances or problems. We have some minor things we've worked on. Uh, we're watching for what we call sand boils. Uh, where the water actually comes under the levee and starts coming out on the other side, and that has to be dealt with immediately. Also, as you know, we have uh, opened up the uh, Bonnie Carey spillway, which puts a lot of fresh water into Lake Pontchartrain, into Lake Bourne, and so that does affect our oyster farmers uh, there. It changes the salinity uh, where that water goes in from the brackish water in towards the Gulf. But also we're watching very closely, and hopefully we will not, and I repeat, we will not have to pull the pins at the Morganza because there's more than 24,000 acres of very, very fertile farmland uh, that uh, would be affected by that. And, of course, now the farmers in that area are going to have to make a decision to put seed and fertilizer in the ground to go ahead and plant, and we're watching very closely what's happening upriver. What we don't want is for uh, there be a high, you know, high a high watermark coming down river where hopefully that we won't have any excessive rain all up through the midwest 
and uh, in the entire Mississippi River Valley that you know where that water comes from. Of course, we're watching for the snow melts, but we've had a lot of high water early in the year, and it's been high for quite a while. And so, hopefully, that you know we have crested for now. We won't have any excessive rainfall, and that the river will will start going down uh, in the event that we do have a rain event. So right now we're watching it very very closely along the entire aspect of not only the Mississippi River but the Red River, all of our all of our waterways. And I was in through Morgan City this morning, and I tell you the water is very high there. And we have flown the river. We went to Lake Providence on Friday, and of course whenever I travel, uh, I always you know look at the river or I, we fly right down the river looking at it. So it is of a concern. Uh, we're going to keep our eyes on it. The Governor's Office Homeland Security Emergency Preparedness and the National Guard are keeping a very close eye, as is the Corps of Engineers. Commissioner of Agriculture and Forestry, Dr. Mike Strain, thank you so much, Commissioner. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Coming up next, it's time to go in the field. Find out what's happening on one of your farms. We'll visit with William Stutz. He farms in West Carroll Parish. That is way up in the northeast corner on the Arkansas border. William Stutz is coming up next in the field on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. What comes out of the ground, creates energy, and has been a major contributor to Louisiana's economy for over two centuries? No, it's not oil. It's sugar. Sugar cane, sweet sugar cane. Ever since the Jesuits began cultivating sugar in colonial Louisiana, this sweet crop has had a major impact on our economic well-being. Each year, our sugarcane industry creates an economic boon of nearly $3 billion for the Bayou State. This vital business engine supports fuel and fertilizer distributors, tractor and automotive dealerships, supermarkets, and more than 15,000 Louisiana jobs. The sugar industry also benefits research universities and schools, banks, and insurance agencies. Sugarcane, sweet sugarcane. The Louisiana sugarcane industry, helping empower the people of Louisiana for more than 220 years. Louisiana Sugar, making life sweeter, naturally. taking you to the fields of Louisiana as we hear from one of you in the field on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. We go in the field this week way up to northeast Louisiana to talk with William Stutz of West Carroll Parish. William, how you doing today? We're doing fine, Carrie. How are you? Doing all right. Well, William, before we get started, if you would tell our listeners about you and your operation, um, where you farm and how many acres. Well, if I make it to start, this will be my 43rd crop. I farm in West Carroll Parish. We farm about 1,500 acres of corn and soybeans. Well, before we look ahead to 2019, let's look back at the 2018 crop, William. I know a lot of folks had trouble with wet conditions and getting crops out of the field. How did your 2018 crop come out? Did you have any trouble? We got everything out. We didn't create any roots. And uh, I had some corn that went down on us at... uh, wasn't able to get 100 percent of but uh other than that we had a pretty good fall well how has the weather been so far here in 2019 well it's been pretty wet 
nobody has gotten any field work done. In fact, I know just one field of uh, corn that's been planted. Most people last fall didn't get any field work done at all, and uh, some's got ruts that they got to contend with. The, the rain is is really putting us behind the eight ball. How far behind is this going to put you, do you think? Well, you know, if it'll go ahead and dry up pretty quick, we won't be too far behind. That could put us on the back edge of a, a normal planting season anyway. When do you normally get your corn in the ground, William? I usually try to put mine in anywhere from the 10th of March to the 1st of April. Do you think you're going to hit that target this year? Well, I, I believe that uh, I'll probably get some planted in that time frame, but I won't get all of it planted. Is that going to affect your crop mix this coming spring? Uh, if, it, if it continues to rain and, and puts us uh, further down the road, I'm sure it will. Well, what is your plan so far? How many acres of which crops do you plan to put in the ground this spring? Well, we, we do about 750 corn and 750 of soybeans. We try to keep a 50-50 split. So what happens if it just will not stop raining? Are you going to end up with more beans in the ground than you planned? Yeah. Well, we'll have to go with beans. And really don't want to do that. William, the trade situation with China and other countries has been top of the news over the last several months, as well as other international factors. Have you been keeping an eye on that situation? And what are you thinking as you get ready to plant your spring crop this year? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I would have hoped we would have had a trade agreement before now. But uh, I, I do understand uh, President Trump's position on it. We can't continue to have uh, these huge deficits. And uh, what he's doing, I believe, is the right thing. We just got to be patient and, and let him get it done. Well, William, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with us today and wish you the best for a great 2019 crop. Thank you, Carrie. William Stutz of West Carroll Parish. Coming up next, it's time to take a look at the markets. Greg Fox and Dave Foster will stop by with their look at the grain and cattle markets. That's next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Believe it or not, your food doesn't come from the grocery store. It just may have been grown on a farm right here in Louisiana. And those jeans you're wearing may have come from a Louisiana cotton farm. Louisiana's farmers and ranchers take pride in producing the food and fiber that we all use in our daily lives. So each time you sit down to a meal or get dressed for the day, thank a Louisiana farmer or rancher. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Now let's look at the markets with insight from the experts at the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. And to talk about the markets, we're visiting with Greg Fox. He's a grain marketing specialist with the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. Greg, we had a USDA World Agriculture Supply and Demand report out earlier today. 
I know the trade really wasn't expecting anything in this report. Did it come out pretty much the way the trade expected, or were there any surprises? The biggest surprises were probably on the corn side, and you saw a big de- decrease in the ethanol usage for the month. Exports were down, and so you saw carryout increased overall. Um, but it didn't really impact the corn market as much as it was just down slightly. You know, beans, you know, we saw increase in crush, um, but everything else was pretty much where they expected it to be. I guess some of the better news to come out of it was Brazil's production came in about 116.5 instead of the 117, where a lot of the trade thought that those numbers weren't going to change at all. And that's Brazil's total bean production, that is. Well, I know that trade, of course, has been something that is weighing on this market and has been for some time, of course, the situation with China. Greg, it just looks like this market's just really getting tired of waiting on something to come out of this Chinese trade situation. I think it is. You know, we, we hear the little snippets of things look good and we're moving towards progress. And you see a small bump in the markets. You know, the last time that came out, you know, we saw a small rally, nothing really, you know, no double-digit rally for sure. And then a couple of days later, it kind of settles right back down, even a little bit lower. I do think the trade is kind of tired of hearing about it and wishing it would get settled sooner or later. I think the biggest underlying problem is even if China comes back with no tariffs and everything gets worked out, we're still sitting on a lot of supply. You know, we need to start chewing up bean and corn somehow. That way, when China does come back to the market, they're really digging into our supplies. But right now, it doesn't look that way. With their swine fever issue, they're not buying a whole lot of grain from anybody right now. So, you know, we need things to get done so that we can kind of get back to normal. But what is that new normal going to look like? Exactly. Even if we do get a deal done, we have to face the fact that some damage might be longer lasting than we want it to be. I mean, I don't see that things are going to just snap back to normal overnight, do you? No, I agree. I don't, I don't think you see things get back to normal overnight. Again, what's their solution to the swine fever that they're dealing with? It's not just in China. You know, other countries are, are dealing with it now as well. You know, that's something that can get turned around pretty quick once they find a cure or get it settled or, or taken care of. You know, that swine population can be rebuilt fairly quickly. But you got to get that solved first. So they're not buying the meal. They're not buying the soybeans for the protein feed that they have in the past. You start looking at Brazil's about 50% harvested. So when they're close to done, you know, China's going to go back to that market for grain like they always do. That's going to be their first place to go to once those supplies start running lower. Then they'll come to the U.S. I think the biggest benefactor would be if we have a trade deal done, Brazil has a, you know, smaller, South America has a smaller crop overall, you might see their prices get higher sooner than what they normally would and force China back to us sooner. But again, you know, what are their needs going to be when that does come back around or if that comes back around? Greg, let's wrap up by touching on the wheat market. Boy, I mean, the bottom has just fallen out of this thing over the last few weeks. I guess, you know, the little bit of wheat that we do have in Louisiana, hopefully the folks who put that stuff in the ground in the fall got some of that priced back then because, boy, we have just seen a big drop in prices lately. Yeah, wheat exports were cut pretty good this month. Um, Overall carryout was up. So, you know, there's, again, plenty of wheat out there. We're not seeing big issues uh, in the wheat market 
right now is for for globally. So, yeah, it's taking a bath. And, you know, the, the lower it goes, unfortunately, it can drag corn down with it. Uh, you don't want to see uh, wheat get cheaper than corn. And right now it's it's knocking on the door to, to get pretty damn close to corn. So, yeah, it's, it's taking a bath. Hopefully we can see that turn around because it doesn't look like you're going to see much for price out of the wheat market when they do harvest it. Greg Fox with the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. Thanks a lot, Greg. Yes, sir. Thank you. And now we move over to talk about the cattle market with Dave Foster, CEO of Cattle Producers of Louisiana. Dave, let's first talk about the cattle market here in Louisiana. You know, you and I both watch these reports coming out of our local auction markets, and I have just noticed that we've seen an uptick in calf prices here lately, as well as slaughter cow prices. So we've definitely seen prices moving in the right direction. What have you seen coming out of the local auction markets lately? Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Uh, we've uh, we've certainly in the last couple of weeks, for sure, these uh, these calf prices as well as the slaughter calf prices have have gotten uh, sharply higher. Back uh, three or four weeks ago, you know, uh, uh, the the top end of a slaughter calves they were bringing somewhere in the oh in the forties, maybe maybe to the low fifties, and now these same type of cows, the better end of the Killing cows are up in the uh, high 50s to mid 60s, so that's a that's a that's a good thing. And then these calves, uh, it's very obvious to me that uh, these buyers uh, outside of Louisiana that are in that uh, wheat country, and also those people that uh, put out summer grass kind of calves are are searching now and trying to put together numbers, if you will, to uh, uh, to stockpile them so that when, if and when, uh, old man winter leaves us and we get warmer weather and this grass starts to grow and they'll have something to, to turn out on. And, and of course, uh, mid-March is the kind of a time on the calendar where uh, this uh, wheat pasture graze-out thing happens. So if, if the wheat boys are going to not harvest the wheat and graze it out, then they're looking for uh, calves to put on there and to to gain weight and utilize that that wheat number. So these calves have really picked up. For example, these five weight calves now the lighter end of the five weights from five to five fifty on the steers they're bringing um, oh they're bringing in the sixties and some even into the seventies as well one seventy and and uh, and the heifers are about oh fifteen dollars back something like that. Uh, and the four-weight calves are up in the 80s and and maybe even a tick higher. So, again, receipts are light. There's not much movement, uh, which is typical for this time of year. However, uh, these prices are really good, which tells me that um, there'll be a demand uh, certainly longer than, than, than we thought. And then you, you slide over to the uh, slaughter cattle, uh, the... Uh, Feedlot cattle coming out. They they were about steady the last week. They're bringing about twenty eight, uh, some at a dollar twenty eight fifty. But um, but there again, the, the the weights of these cattle because of these severe storms moving through and the cold and everything, these cattle in these feedlots aren't gaining weight. They're just really maintaining. So we've got cattle that uh, that are behind, if you will, and so. Uh, that's going to create a little bit of an opening in there. So all of these things for us here, if anybody had any ryegrass cattle, 
that I don't know how many there is here, but if when we normally sell those in late April and into mid-May, uh, weighing seven and 800 pounds, there's a good, will be, I think, a good demand for those cattle going directly to the feedlots as well as um, our lighter weight calves that, uh, that are on the market and will start coming in at that time. David, you mentioned the weather already. You know, we've got the cold, the storms, the snow, the ice uh, up north of us. Here in Louisiana, every time you and I talk, we have to talk about the weather because it just seems like it's either way too dry like last summer or, you know, ever since the fall, it just hasn't quit raining. Um, and that has just caused havoc for a lot of our cattle producers here in the state. And now we've got the issue with the river, um, you know, flood stage in a lot of places. What are you hearing out in the country on how your producers are dealing with all of this weather situation? Well, right now, uh, Kerry, uh, it's um, it's critical for many of those that are living living along that river, where there's um, where there's seepage coming off those levees, uh, where where that river is uh, is getting high. It's almost to the point that it was in 2011, and uh, that was a record high, and with with flooding and everything like that. So. They, they are really watching that. And, and many of them that I'm talking to now and have in the last week or so, not only are they, are they watching it, but they're, they're, they're making preparations to see if, if they've got to move their cattle, if there's a place for them to go that, uh, that, that where they could uh, get, get rid of all this, uh, this wet rain by moving those cattle somewhere away from all that, uh, all that wet weather, and of course, as you mentioned too, you know, all all north of us, this this dealing with all that snow and everything, when this weather warms up, well, what happens? The snow melts, it goes into the streams, the streams go into the rivers, the rivers come to the mighty Mississippi or the Red and come down, and and so instead of being out of this thing, at the end of this month, in the in maybe in April, my gosh, it it could. Uh, it could sure last a lot longer than that. So these folks are really, really looking to be critical. I talked to um, John Grisafi, who is the the uh, president of the Atchafalaya uh, Water District, and, and uh, he, again, is telling me that, uh, you know, we better be doing something along these lines because it could be, uh, could be a situation where something's going to have to happen. So, again... To directly answer your question, they are preparing to uh, move cattle if they've got to, looking to to see if they could uh, go someplace, a neighbor or something that's uh, far enough away from all that flooding where they can uh, stockpile their cattle over there for for a time being. So it's a, it's a tense situation around, and something that um, some of the things we take for granted, uh, it. Uh, it's it's serious problems for these uh, people along that river. Dave Foster, CEO of Cattle Producers of Louisiana. Thanks so much, Dave. All right. You're welcome. What is going on in Louisiana agriculture? Well, let's find out. We'll take a look at the Louisiana Ag Calendar. Coming up next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. 
Growing up in Sarepta, I could see the value of agriculture every time I left the house. Whether it was timber going to the paper mill or cattle in a pasture, I knew the farmers, ranchers, and landowners were keeping my hometown on the map. And the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation helps keep them in business. So join the Farm Bureau today. Become a member at LAFarmBureau.org or call your parish Farm Bureau office. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Now to wrap up this week's podcast, let's take a look at what's coming up this week on the Louisiana Ag Calendar. We have several events coming up in Louisiana agriculture over the next couple of weeks. We'll get it started with this coming Thursday and Friday, March 21st and 22nd. It's the annual Louisiana Women in Ag Conference. That will be held in Alexandria. If you'd like more information, go to their website, louisianawomeninag.com. Then also on Friday, March 22nd, it's the Farm Bureau Sporting Clay Shootout. That will be held in northwest Louisiana up in Benton. That is a fundraiser for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Scholarship Foundation and the Louisiana Ag in the Classroom Foundation. If you like to shoot sporting clays and you'd like to benefit that cause, then please go to their website at LAFarmBureau.org for more information on the Louisiana Farm Bureau Sporting Clay Shootout. Again, that's Friday the 22nd in Benton, Louisiana. Then over the weekend, on Sunday, March 24th, the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation Livestock Committee kicks off their annual beef tour. That'll be a bus tour of cattlemen headed to southwest Missouri to check out their cattle industry in that state. Again, that's March 24th and runs through Thursday, March the 28th. The Louisiana Grazing Lands Conservation Institute has a couple of workshops coming up that you may be interested in. They're called the Profitable Farm Systems Workshops, and they'll be held on Friday, March 29th, and Saturday, March 30th. The featured speaker at these workshops is Virginia farmer Daniel Salatin. If you'd like to hear Daniel speak, the first one is Friday, March 29th in Bogalusa, and the second one will be held on Saturday, March 30th in Shreveport. For more information on these workshops, go to louisianaglci.org. On Saturday, March 30th, it's the second annual Louisiana Mayhaw Conference held at LSU Alexandria. For more information on this conference, go to mayhaw.org. Then on Saturday, March 30th, the Louisiana Ag and the Classroom Committee will be holding their regular meeting in Baton Rouge. That is a look at some of the activities coming up in Louisiana agriculture over the next couple of weeks. And that puts the wraps on Episode 28 of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. We're on both Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at Voice of LA Ag. We'll see you next time right here on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Thanks for listening to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This podcast is produced by Carrie Martin and the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. For more information, be sure to check out our website, voiceoflouisianaagriculture.org and lafarmbureau.org.